Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Edit Your Life podcast. I'm Christine Coe. And I'm Asha Dornfest, and we're here to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. We share practical ways to declutter your home schedule and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. And we believe that baby steps are the key to getting there. Hello, Edit Your Life friends. This is Christine here, and I have possibly the world's most delightful guest on the line today, Ned Johnson. Hi, Ned. <laughs> you need to get out more, Christine, but, but thank you. <laughs> But thank you for that. That's very kind. Well, Ned, I do want to say that you are one of these people who I have had the delight of connecting with during the pandemic. So we have never met in person. And I feel deeply connected to you because we've had Mm -hmm. so many Zooms together uh, through this little author group we have. And it just means the world to me. You are a wonderful human being, and I'm just so thrilled to talk to you about the book that you have coming out, or by the time this goes live, it will be out. Yeah, well, thank you for that. You know, one of the things, without going into details, um, that this the, <laughs> this parenting squad group, I feel like it's a, in part of it has been a, it's kind of a therapy session, yes. and <laughs> both you and I have shared some hard heavy stuff, heavy, you know, intimate stuff that uh, we it's not for today's consumption, folks. Uh, um, you know, and 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 that's one of the really important lessons from our book is that people become closer to one another by sharing hard feelings with each other. Mm-hmm. And you read other people, and if people handle it poorly, like, well, not telling that to Ned again, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. if 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 people handle it well, you go, wow, he, you know, she gets me, he gets me, and um and progressively, that's how people draw closer. So, Mm, um, so important. And we're going to, yeah, that's actually one thing I do want to talk to you about um, today, but let's, um, let's actually start at the beginning. I would love for you to just tell a little bit about yourself to our listeners who may not know you. I mean, you have another book too. So, um, (laughs) yeah. And you have a company and all these things. So if you could (laughs) just give a little brief file, that would be wonderful. Sure. Uh, I'm, I am father to two married to one. Uh, I, uh, Lovely family. My day job is I'm a test prep geek. I've spent uh, pretty close to 30 years helping students prepare for and battle the whole alphabet of standardized tests to get into high school, get get into college, get into graduate school. Um, And so I'm getting close to something like 50,000 hours spent one-on-one with other people's kids. And that's uh, that's really been the source of, of of I think some of the some of the understanding that I think I have about how younger people think uh, and respond. Um, that's just been really really cool. 
Uh, and the book, the first book that Bill Stickshude, um, Dr. William R. Stickshude, uh, clinical neuropsychologist and really good friend, a uh, book we wrote called The Self-Driven Child, The Science and Sense of Giving Your Kids More Control Over Their Lives. And Bill and I had been lecturing to schools about how do kids become motivated and discovered we just kind of really liked how one another thought. And Bill thought, you know, maybe we should be writing some of this stuff down. He said, do you think there's an organizing principle about kind of what the advice we give to folks? And I tend to reflect things back as well. It seems to me that, that all the advice that we give is really about how to help kids feel more control over their own lives. And they're, they're really quickly, there are kind of two parts to that. One, the subjective sense of autonomy, that this is my life and I have a say over and get to make choices. And also the brain state that supports mm-hmm. that. So the prefrontal cortex running the rest of the brain, including the, the stress de- detecting amygdala. Yes. Yes. I, uh, I love that there are a lot of brain, you know, what's happening in the brain call outs in your book, mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. obviously super important. Um, well, so yeah, I think one of the reasons I, I just am so excited to talk about, um, and dig into the book a bit, we won't give the whole thing away because obviously people <laughs> should go order the book, uh, and we'll link that up in the show notes. But, you know, one thing I've heard a million times, I do a bunch of work in sex ed. That's like one mm-hmm. of my strange lesser known facts, but you know, so many parents will say, tell me what to say and how to say it. Give me a script. And your book gives tons of broad context and science driven information and also language. I mean, is that something, you know, that you and your co-author had, had heard from a lot of parents? Like, tell me, is it the same thing? Like, tell me what to say. Well, yeah. I mean, cause part of it is, um, it's so frustrating and so stressful really to want to say the right thing, to want to be, mm. have connect, to be connected to our kids, to want to be able to help them when they need our help, and then to 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 give advice and have the whole thing blow up in your face, and then and then then you you're you're sidelined as as a helper, and in many ways, you know, you and your kid can feel almost sometimes not always, but sometimes feel more upset than when you started, um, and so people are sort of saying, yeah, just that, you know, what, what do I say and 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 how do I say it, um, and so a lot of these are just sort of small shifts in language. Um, so that would simply so that we can be more effective because mm-hmm. when we're more effective, as I said before, we, we draw closer to one another and it's much easier for, for our children to benefit from the wisdom often hard earned that we, that we have and think we'd like to share. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit, you, you were just sharing a bit how you went from the self-driven child, which I will say is a book. We'll also link that in the notes because it is a book for mm. any parent who struggles with micromanaging. So highly recommend, you know, you were sharing how you came to what do you say, but mm-hmm. I was curious as I was reading it, obviously a lot of the book was written during the time of COVID. Right, <laughs> and right, did right. you feel additional urgency to deliver this book given how COVID has impacted? Well, pretty much everything including especially I feel communication and how kids are functioning in the world. Yeah, we did. I mean, you, you know, there's, there's certainly been this broad trend uh, of stress related disorders, anxiety, depression, you know, hospitalization, suicidal ideation, suicide attempts and completed suicides that has gone up and up and up and up. Uh, you know, we love the work of Jean Twenge and, and, and Jonathan Haidt. They just had a, a piece in the times a few weeks ago. Um, you know, tracking these changes and some of these things, you know, some of these things are really hard for us to change, right? You know, the, the increased use of technology, 
um, you know, global pandemic virus, you know, these are hard things to change. Mm -hmm. and, and the way that I have come to think about this is that we need to have an equilibrium between the inflows of stress and the outflows of stress. Uh, you know, our mutual pal, Jess Leahy, he has a wonderful book, uh, The Addic Addiction Inoculation. And, and simply put, if we don't have healthy ways to relieve or manage our stress, we'll turn to unhealthy ways. And mm -hmm. that can be substance use uh, disorders. And, you know, just sort of barking and yelling, you know, we can, we can relieve stress by sort of taking it out on other people. But then we displace our stress to them and, and things get even worse. And so we know that one of the single, if there's, if there's a silver bullet against stress-related disorders for, for children and teens, it's the close connection with their parents. Mm. You know, Tina Payne Bryson had made the point that adversity plus support, that's what equals resilience. And goodness knows we get, we got enough adversity going on right mm -hmm. now, at least most people do. And if we can, if we can have an adequate amount of support, if we can talk effectively with our kids, not at them, mm then we can actually, there's a decent chance that we come out of this with kids being more resilient. I mean, I wrote a piece for the Post about this March uh, when this whole thing was just starting, thinking, is this an opportunity? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't mean to dismiss the just incredible challenge and suffering, you know, death and, and, and just terrible things that, that this entails. But, but there's also the possibility that this becomes a source for resilience for people, mm -hmm. for particularly young people moving forward. And, and we, we might as well make, you know, try to pull that silver lining out of this if we can. I agree. And I've spoken about this on the podcast several times and also done some public writing about it. But I, I would never dismiss or try to under underestimate the terribleness that has has mm -hmm. evolved over the past uh, coming up on. Well, I guess it's. Not quite two years, but it yeah. it, it will be. Uh, and our nervous systems like cannot handle being in a state of dumpster fire continually. <laughs> we need those little things and those moments of those glimmers of hope and joy and mm -hmm. connection. That's the stuff that's going to help us survive. I really and truly believe that. Um, and if, if yeah. I can add a point, really, in, in mm -hmm. talking about you know parents and kids during COVID, one of the things that's happened is. You know, it, it's hard for us to be together with someone all the time, anyone, even the people we love most, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in some ways our kids start to drive us crazy over time. I'm pretty sure that feeling is reciprocated. And when we talk about school, th this has been the first opportunity for a lot of parents to see up, up close and personally kind of how their kids are doing school or if we're honest, kind of how they're not doing school. And it's really hard for parents not to stress and think, oh, my gosh, you know, my, my kid's not doing this work. She, she, she's getting, you know, grades. She used to be an A student. Now she's not. Mm -hmm. And to catastrophize and believe that and believe that the, the, you know, the, the most important outcome of this thing is, is that kids keep those top grades so they can go off to college. And I just see it so, so differently. I mean, I know you shared at some point, Christine, mm -hmm. that your, your high school grades we're not, um, well, commensurate with, I think, with, with the kind of brain that, that, that you have. And that's true for a lot of people, right? The, the really academically talented, super bright kids have just kind of pancaked. Mm. And when we, if we panic as parents, as opposed to saying to kids, well, you know, you're doing the best you can right now. And I have every confidence that this will get, this will get better somewhere down the line. I'm, I'm not quite sure when, but really to take the long view yeah. is so helpful, both to our nervous system and to our kids. I mean, something that I've shared in, it's not in the book, but in uh, a lot of the talks that we give, um, I grew up with a family with a few 
more challenges than I would have wished for. And my and my father was an alcoholic who, who eventually drank himself to death. And my mm. mother had a lot of mental health challenges, you know, institutionalized a number of times. And when my parents, the marriage was finally unraveling and, and kind of made for television spectacular ways, it was, it was, it was more than I could handle. And I went mm -hmm. from being, you know, the, the, getting the top grade on every test and everything in every class that I'd ever been in, because I was these tiny little schools and school was pretty easy for me just spending three and a half months of seventh grade in a pediatric psychiatric hospital. Cause mm -hmm. I just, I was it, I, I couldn't take anymore, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I came back to school. I had, you know, the a, a, an adequate amount of support and in, including for some teachers who really kind of put an arm around me and doggone it, you know, I still wanted my life to work out and, you know, eventually found my way and got back on the, on a, on a, on a, a path that was good for me and went to a, you know, one of those highly selective colleges, blah, 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 and, and have a life that is fulfilling and rewarding. And again, that, you know, two kids, one wife, you know, couldn't be happier with the life that I had. And if you looked at me at seventh grade, nobody would have predicted that. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just so helpful for us to remind ourselves when our kids are struggling now, doesn't mean that they need to struggle, that they will struggle later. And if we have confidence that this is just part of their path, it's easier for not for us to not catastrophize and fuss about the homework, but rather just, you know, really work on that connection with our yeah. kids. That is that silver bullet during this really trying time. Yeah, that's well, first, thank you for sharing that with me and our yeah. listeners. And uh, two, uh, yes to all of that. And three, teachers are just the ultimate heroes. Um, mm. I also had teachers who literally saved me. I've actually, I actually wrote a blog post called the the humans mm. who saved me or the adults who saved me. And, you know, those, those adults in, in our lives are just so tremendously important. Okay. Well, we have a lot we're going to dig into. We're going to yeah. take a quick break and be back with Ned Johnson. Are you like pretty much every parent of younger kids? I know looking for a smart entertainment option for your kids designed for kids ages six and up Mysteries About True Histories, also known as Math, How Smart Is That?, is a weekly podcast full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and humor. And while kids will enjoy the stories anchored around characters like troublesome trolls, pirate queens, and mysterious aunts, adults can benefit too. I admittedly delighted in learning a thing or two about Pythagoras and triangles in one episode. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code-breaking, pattern-solving, and more, all weaving humor in with education to make learning fun. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a great length for transition times during the day or a bedtime treat. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Hello, friends. We're back with Ned Johnson, and I'm all, I've just got all the feelings right now, Ned, and this conversation (laughs) is so wonderful and heart-driven, and I'm grateful for you. And speaking of heart-driven, I would like to start this section of the show talking about empathy. I love that your book starts with a chapter on empathy, Mm. because quite frankly, I have been struggling to understand human lack of empathy during the pandemic. So my question for you, and this is going to be like, pick any one of the things that you're Mm -hmm. seeing, but I'm curious about what is one of the most common empathy pitfalls you see parents falling into in communicating with their kids? And how would you recommend course correcting? You know, you you were saying yeah. earlier in the show that the book is a lot about like shifting language. You know, what's a what's a simple tweak that you think that parents could do to work on empathy? Well, I think the most common pitfall that we fall into is that as humans, really as mammals, but as humans, we have what's called the writing reflex. And if someone we care about brings a problem to us, we have this natural inclination to, to want to fix it, right? I think we'll get rid of this thing that's distressing to, to my f- friends or family, and, and, and that'll make it all better. But it's not the first step that we want to have. So Because we fall into either trying to fix the thing or to convince someone it's not that big a deal to help them reframe mm. it. And, you know, five years mm-hmm. from now, you won't, you won't care. You know, and, and, or everybody goes through this. And, and you, know, you know, you didn't really like him that much anyway. Or, you know, a bee's not the end of the world. And those things may all be true, but it's not the first play that we want to work, the first play we want to make because it, it leads people to, to feel like it's sort of dismissive positivity or that really terrific advice that we have to give so often feels like criticism. Well, if only you had done this, Christine, then you wouldn't be in this pickle. Mm-hmm. And, and so one, people feel really can feel um, delegitimized and, and talked, t- you know, talked down to. Um, but they also then are, aren't really hearing the advice that we have to give. And so starting with empathy is, is, is empathy and validation. Man, that sounds like you're having a day. Mm-hmm. It must be really hard to, I mean, you, I can't believe your friends didn't invite you to the party. I am so sorry. Or, you know, oh, a sweetheart, I, I can see how upset you are. I, I know you studied really hard for that test, you know, I, and I can, I can understand how frustrating that is. Now, in my head, I might know, the kid barely studied, if you'd studied harder, if you'd, if you'd talked to the teacher like I recommended, if you'd gone to bed for goodness sakes, if you hadn't been on your phone, you can think of a thousand reasons why this would have gone better. And honestly, gosh, so can the kid. But right now is not the time to give that advice. You just say, I'm, boy, it's, it you, looks like you've had a day. Is there a way that I can help? And so, again, so when, when people bring a problem to us, we have this natural inclination to want to jump in and fix it. And one kind of tweak or one technique that's really useful um, is what's called reflective re- listening. Uh, there's this great guy named Ron McGinn who we stumbled into um, who uses the acronym of WIGGING, which is W-I-G, what I got is. And it's simply you repeat back to the person what you heard. 
So, you know, so you were the last person to, you know, to get cut from the soccer team, but there are three other people there who, who, who didn't even show up for half the tryouts and you, and, and, and you, you know that you're better than they are. Is that, a, do I have that about right? Right. Or you, you said something really mean to your, your friend in social media and now they're not talking to you at all. And the, it's logic doesn't calm hard motions. Mm. It's having, it's having the sense that people understand you. And so this wigging is really neat because one, you, you more or less repeat back to people as, as close as you can, even oftentimes using their own words, what they've said to you. Now they may say, why, why are you repeating my words back to me? Simply say, I just want to be, I'm just trying to be sure that I understand what, what and, I, and I really, that I've heard what you said. Mm-hmm. It also buys us time <laughs> to ah, figure out yes. what's the next thing to say, right? Because we all of us have had the experience of, of, of responding quickly with something that we feel like is just the right thing. And people are like, oh, dad, you don't. And you're like, oh my goodness, I'm just trying to help. And then we're not being helpful in the ways that we want. Mm-hmm. That is such excellent advice. And Ned, I don't know, We this is a conversation for you and I to just have virtual coffee over and, and discuss. <laughs> but I know that personally also having uh, come from a household of trauma, um, mm. I really shut down on feelings. And mm-hmm. um, it. I, I literally, I've joked about it on the show too, but- I actually have a children's feelings poster in my office with 30 options from which I can choose how I'm feeling today. And so I wanted to mention that I actually have, um, you know, two pieces in that came out recently in CNN, one on feelings and emotion and connection to empathy, mm-hmm. including some genius advice from our beloved colleague, Phyllis Fagel. Mm-hmm. And then another piece related to that, that hits on, uh, adolescents and brains and emotions. Uh, and there are other experts there, including Lisa Damore, who offers incredible advice. So I'll link those up in the show notes, because I think that the simple act that you're talking about, about validating feelings, reflecting them back, it's such a small and doable tweak. We're all about small doable actions on this show. And mm-hmm. it makes an enormous difference. I cannot underscore enough how big a difference it makes. And Lisa Damore has this great point at this. If you haven't, you can Google Lisa Damore snow globe. You have to read this. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's, I will. Oh, it's, it's great. And she, she basically talks about when kids are emotions, they get spun up like a snow globe, right? Mm. And you think, what do I do? And so she t- describes having a girl come to her with some terrible, terrible thing. And she's like, honest to gosh, I didn't know what to do. And I just kind of sat there and, 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 and kind of held space with her and, and, and did this repeating back and, and empathizing. And I'm like, I don't know what to say. And, but just doing that calmed, helped the girl calm her own hard emotions. And the end of it, she gets up, you know, she gets up from the couch, smiles and said, thanks, Dr. Demore, you're just the best and walks away. Lisa's <laughs> like, what just happened there? And because part of it is when we, you know, and this is where I come down. I have a kid who, a daughter who's a senior in high school and she's brilliant, but she's super intense. And when, when, when we start to correct things or try to talk them out of their hard feelings, it also has the effect of signaling to them, not our intention, but signaling to them that I'm really not that comfortable with your hard emotions. I, I, re- I just mm. want to get, re- I want to fix this. I want to get rid of them as opposed to just, you know, co- you know, Tina P. Bryce would say co-regulating, just being there with them in that space when it's hard. And oftentimes if we can be a, just, we can kind of be a, a hard emotion sponge and pull some of that out of them. And then the kid's prefrontal cortex comes back online along with her ability to put things into context. And so maybe this isn't such a big deal. 
And they pop up from the couch and say, thanks a bunch and walk out the door. And you're like, did that really just happen? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to, um, I'll give a quick shout out to Tina Payne Bryson, who is a genius. I will link up um, <laughs> some of her books. Um, her her work is just incredible. She's also in the, the CNN, CNN piece about um, adolescence and brain. But oh my goodness, she is so smart and um, people need to read her as well. Okay, well, I have, a, I have another question I wanted to ask. Mm -hmm. I love, I love, love, love when I read a book and there's a term that I hadn't, I just hadn't stumbled on yet. And you talk about the power of no force. So right. tell us what that is and why it is so important uh, for communication. Well, part of this came out of Ross Green, who has a really, really terrific book called The Explosive Child and mm. talked about um, that some, all of us are just wired, you know, in the ways that we're wired and, and particularly for kids who are really sensitive and that for little kids looks like they're more likely to have a meltdown or a tantrum over nothing. You're like, you've got to be kidding me. Well, it's not that they're misbehaving. It's that they just have a sensitive stress response. And so what we, what we, it's almost like this kind of Jedi mind trick. When you take force off the table, it, it calms these hard emotions because what there's a, in our first book, the self-driven child, we talk about the research of a woman named Sonia Lupian who heads the Center for Studies of Human Stress up in Montreal. And she has this terrific acronym of NUTS, what makes people nuts. And so it's novelty or unpredictability. T is threat, perceived threat. And sometimes that's, you know, cough, cough right now. And mm -hmm. sometimes that's, you know, threat to ego. And then S, a low sense of control. And it turns out that a low sense of control is really the most stressful thing a person can experience. We can really handle those other three things so long as we feel like I have the words to say, I have a plan for this, I have a plan B for this. There's some way for me to, you know, to pull out the stress. There's something that I can do. But uh, I mean, if you got a, you know, if, if you got a call, Christine, that one of your kids was, was grievously injured and there's no way for you to get there, mm -hmm. you're, you're just, you're out of your mind. And so this low sense of control is really, really stressful. So we feel when people are telling us what to do or trying to coerce us, it really doesn't make us so happy. And once our stress response goes off, there's no rational thinking. So there's this wonderful story in the book where Bill was, was working. He, Bill got a call from a family, from mom said, you know, can you talk our, our, our son into using his ADHD medication? You know, we've had, you know, two, two sort of come to Jesus meetings with a, with a pediatrician and his, and, his, and his therapist is telling him this and his teachers and everyone, and we can't get him to take it. And Bill said, well, I, I don't believe in talking kids into doing things because it's coercive, but I'll talk with them about it. Mm -hmm. And so the kid comes in and Bill says, first of all, no one should make you take medication. No one, you shouldn't take anything that you don't want to take. But I think it might be worth your experimenting. But, but, but first, let me tell you, let me, let me show you all the ways. If they try to make you do this, right, you, you can hide it under your tongue. And so they practice that, right? You could, you, could, you could throw it up. You could go to the bathroom and you throw it up. So no one, no one can make you do this. And I'm not going to try to talk you into it either. However, I think it's a good idea for you to try it for yourself. And it's going to take a couple of three weeks and see if it helps you. Now, if it helps you a little, it's not worth it. If it helps you a little or you know, a bunch, but the side effects really, you don't like how it makes you feel, it's not worth it. But for some people, they try it. And it's like the first time you put on glasses. You're like, oh my gosh, this is great. So I just, I, I think it's a good idea that you try it, but this will be your call whether you do it or not. And the kid got up from the couch like Lisa's kid and said, okay, I, go, I think I'll try it. And he got a call from the mom like three months later and said, it's been transformative. What did you do? 
And he said, I just said, it's your call and no one's going to make you do it. Mm-hmm. And I do this with my daughter, who I swear, <laughs> my daughter is, she has at least 20 IQ points. I mean, she, it's just an incredible mind, but she's, she can be very rigid, a very sensitive stress response, has had long bouts of anxiety and some depression. And, it, you know, and so I started this a long time ago, just saying it's, it's, gonna, it's your call. And that's the only way I can have any influence on Yes. It. Because yes. I've realized it's a fool's errand for me to think that I'm going to have power over her because she's the kind of kid, you know, who will, will just who would drive the her car of her life straight into a ditch or a tree because it's just, it's so upsetting for her to have people try to co- control or coerce her. Mm-hmm. Isn't it incredible how just doing a little less makes a big difference? <laughs> just, yeah. It's so funny. And it's just, and, and the hard part is that it's hard. It right? is hard to it's do hard less. Yes. <laughs> You know, because we, we and, care. Right. And that's that the power of no first force. And we talk about how hard it is to sit on our hands, how mm-hmm. hard it is to button our lip. There's a there's research in there, but a woman named Jesse Borelli out of UC Irvine, who's this researcher on parental over control. And she really quickly she has this kind of clever little experiment where the kids doing a digital puzzle, parents there for moral support, with the only instruction to mom or dad, don't jump, don't, don't, don't help, don't tell them what to do. Kid and parent both have hard rate monitors. And eventually, and the puzzle looks easy, but actually it's not. So the kids get, you know, oh, this is going to be great. And then it's not. And they get frustrated and then they get distressed. And as they get distressed, parent gets distressed. And both of them have heart rate monitors on. Oh, how And so yes. then, then as the kid starts to get, eventually they can't, mom or dad can't help it. And so, 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 what if you turn to the left? No, switch over. No, no, the, the, the other left, right? <laughs> and as they jump in to give advice, breaking the only rule they had, the parental stress, their heart rate, it, 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 mm-hmm. it, it, it comes down, but their kids goes up. Mm. So it's not, it's not easy to do this, but if you, if you, and there's a whole bunch of great science on that. If you realize that one of the most ways you can be most effective is by saying little, saying less, and particularly the how you do it. When we talk a lot about changing the energy, yeah. I can only say with my daughter, the experience has been transformative where it used she could be upset for days or hours now when she gets upset and we just very gently you know it'll be it'll be minutes she'll become she'll she'll snap back to you know that resilience to to where she was before it's um it's kind of like a jedi mind trick it's kind of fun that's incredible all right well we have more to discuss stick with us because after this break we're going to talk about stress and happiness we'll be right back If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Well, hey there, busy mama. 
Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hello, friends. We are back with the wonderful Ned Johnson. I'm learning so much today. That's one of my favorite things about running and doing this podcast. And well, this would be the understatement of the year, Ned. I cannot remember the last time things weren't stressful, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but this episode will air at the beginning of September, smack in the middle of back to school season. There's so much material in your book that ultimately weaves together to address stress tolerance building skills. You know, it's all it's all related. But what is a key communication tactic you would recommend parents keep in mind, particularly as kids are back in school and dealing with, you know, just a more and new demands related to just social stuff and academics? It's going to be a lot. I already feel it. Yeah, it is going to be a lot, you know, and, and we have a chapter in the book about the language of a, of a parent consultant. Mm-hmm. And it was an idea we had in the first book of things go a whole lot better if parents can shift from thinking of themselves as being responsible for what their kids do as their, 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 their manager or their boss or the, you know, Martinet, but rather as a consultant. And the idea behind this is, is, is you, you offer help and support. You, you don't ram it down kids' throats, in part because when you, would you like to hear my thoughts on that? It gives them a greater sense of control and brings their kind of defensiveness down, shields down, and much, much more likely to hear the, the advice that, that we think will be helpful. We also do our best to let, to let, as much as we can, make their own decisions unless they're crazy. Because when kids, the kids need the experience of making decisions for themselves before they, you know, go off to middle school, before they go off to college, before mm-hmm. they go off to, because it's when kids make their own decisions that they have to weigh the pros and cons and go back and forth. When we argue one side of the equation, they'll kind of argue the other. And so we kind of want to take our thumb off the scale there. And we also want to let kids solve their own problems as much as they can. We, again, we offer help and support. Can, would you like some help with that? But there's a tendency to want to jump in and fix things for kids. Because again, we have that writing reflex. We, we love our kids and we want to protect them from suffering. But I'm sure you've you know, heard this from, from, from Jess Leahy talking about the, the great work of Steve Mayer, who, who, who's a who guru on, on stress and anxiety, and talks about how do brains get wired to be stress tolerant. And we re- purposely use the, the language of stress, uh, stress tolerant rather than resilience because that, they're, they're the same thing, but I think there's clarity in the ability to tolerate stress. And what it involves is a, a, a difficult situation and then you do something where you can manage that stress. You have a tool to handle. So his, his paradigm experiment with these two rats in a cage, they're gonna get shocked. It's not life-threatening, but they don't like it. They both have a little wheel in there and they spin the wheel. Rat A has a wheel that attenuates the shock and he gets this massive activation in the, the 
prefrontal cortex that, that dampens down the stress response. And this at a neurologic level is what coping looks like. Mm-hmm. Rat B, little wheel doesn't do jack. Fast forward, they put them in other scary situations and rat B, rat A, having had this experience of, of having control, something that I can do, jumps into coping mode again. And you see this af- activation in his, in his prefrontal cortex. What can I do? How can I, how can I navigate this? What's the best? And it's exactly what we want to have for rats or children as they go out into the world of, okay, what are my options here? What can I do? The really clever thing they did with this at one point was they yoked the two rats. So rat A, when he spun the wheel, he saved rat B. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sure that, brother, that rat B was like, oh, brother rat A, thank you, thank you, thank you. And as grateful as all get out. But he still remained a nervous wreck mm-hmm. because he was forever the damsel in distress. He never got to be the superhero who saved the day or saved him or herself. And so, yeah, this is going to be a challenge. Oh, another bloody year of school with, are you kidding me? And what can we want to sit down with kids and say, what are, are there things, you know, and, and in a perfect world, you, you kind of plan this once a week. You don't talk about this every single night. You know, what's the problem? What's the concern? Because we put a lot of energy in things not going well, but we can reflect at the end of the week when people's energy is calm and say, anything that was hard this week, anything I can help you with, you know? And so we're there and we're, so the kids know that we're constantly available to them if or when they need us. And that, that proximity that, you know, the power of showing up as Tina would say, allows kids to go off and, and, and deal with things, knowing that they can retreat to, to mom, to dad, to a caregiver, that home is a safe base. Yeah, that's, that's so important. Um, I, I like the, I really, really love the idea of a, a weekly check-in and also, you know, on a just, I think listeners of this show who've been with us for a while know that I'm also a fan of just like the dinner time. Like, I mean, this is a tactic I learned from an educator back when my kids were in, you know, little, little, little preschool kids, but, you know, just asking for a high and low on the day, like what was mm-hmm. something great that happened today and something crappy. And I think it, that loops back to what we were talking about earlier about validating all the feelings. Like it's okay. Everything doesn't, isn't going to be great and everything doesn't have to be great and that's okay. <laughs> so that thing's really well said. Yep. And I love the idea of a high and a low because you can always say, well, did you find someone to sit with at lunch today, right? And if you put all the energy in that, in some ways, it's telling the kid, I'm so worried about your having someone to sit at lunch. You know, it's all I'm thinking about all day long. And again, it can signal to the kid, oh my gosh, my dad is so upset about this. I better, you know, and kids will oftentimes not share with their parents mm. because they're worried that they'll upset their parents, which mm-hmm. you're, like, you're like, you think, oh my goodness, can that really be true? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also that high, low exercise, I will say Uh is a good modeling one too, because, you know, kids need to see that we as adults also have highs and lows. And that's really important. That was, that was one of the other things I tamped down on a lot in addition to my emotions. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, well, let's, let's, um, talk about the flip side of stress, I guess, um, which is happiness to which you devote an entire chapter. Ah, yeah. This topic is so crucial in my opinion, especially knowing what we know about how important joy is as a mitigator of stress responses for kids. I mean, having, when I was young, you know, amidst all the trauma and chaos, having music, that was the thing, Mm -hmm. one of the things that saved me, that was something I could tap into. I think the nuance I want to talk to you, especially about though, is I think there is a tricky balance here for parents, because I think there is a common trap 
where a kid finds something they're passionate about. And then all of a sudden the parent starts pushing hard on this thing that was just a joy. So it becomes this Mm. more about achievement than identity. You know what I mean? Oh, I love that. Yep. I, I really think I think about this all the time. And so (laughs) I would love for you to share your thoughts on how parents can resist that urge and just really help kids find what lights them up without immediately pivoting, pivoting to, okay, this will look good on the college resume. Let's push it. Yeah. Let's not weaponize childhood joys for, for, for college success. That seems like a poor idea. Um, we, uh, I, I, with empathy and grace, I understand where it comes from. I get it. I get it. Yeah. There's a story I'll tell at the end, but I'll start, I'll start with this. So Bill was in, in a, an independent school in Dallas, Texas. And he was talking with um, sort of a group of 10th grade student government leaders, whatever they were, and, uh, and asked them, how many of you want to be happy as adults? And they kind of sheepishly raised their hands like, duh. And he said, well, what do grownups tell you about what's necessary? What, what helps you be happy as adults? And this one kid raises his hand and said, well, they, they tell us if we get into a good enough college that everything else will fall into place. Mm. And every answer was some version of that. And Bill thought, my goodness, if only that were true, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if that were the case, then students at Yale would be among the happiest people on the planet, as opposed to oversubscribing Lori Santos' class on happiness of, please tell us how to be happy. And the good news is there actually is a formula for how to be happy. And so we, we looked a lot at the research of Martin Seligman, who, who founded really the, the study of what's known as positive psychology. And we talk about this model of PERMA. And so it's an acronym that P is positive emotions. And some of us are born more glass half full or, or glass half empty, but there are, all, there are things we can do there. E is engagement or the flow state, right? So loving music, making music, doing art, playing soccer, what have mm-hmm. you. Our relationships, relationships. And so all the parents who want to take their kids away from, you know, spending time with friends, well, okay, then just pay for a therapist. That's, you know, either way. Um, M is meaning, right? Of being deeply, of being committed and and connected to something bigger than yourself. So that can be your church, that can be ROTC, that can be, you know, social justice, that can be any, you know, your, your student government, anything where you feel like you're part of something. You know, we talked in the story about Team Jackson, right? Of your family connection. I helped my grandmother. Um, and then A is achievement. And so it's not that we don't get happiness from getting that coveted college admissions, you know, or getting an award or winning a game or getting a raise. These things do bring us happiness. It's just that it's one fifth of the equation. And so if we're sacrificing these other four really core components in this, in the, and, but you can achieve everything you want and still not be happy. Well, goodness, that's not where we want to be. So you, the, 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 you're asking about, you know, weaponizing something for a college success. I have a student I started where actually a mutual client of Bill and, Bill and me, um, started talking to her in eighth grade. And she is wildly capable kid. I mean, just a, a, a crackerjack academic student. Really, I am looking at this picture right now, this, this just unbelievable artistic ability. And um, now on the Olympic development team for, um, for figure skating. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. But she's at an independent school that is known for almost toxic levels of stress. And they asked me kind of what was my advice. And they were, you know, eventually I'll do test prep and we're asking about course selection, all this kind of thing. But the thing I zeroed, because they're trying to figure out basically can we get into Harvard, Yale, Princeton, whatever. And the thing that I zeroed in on, I was just transfixed by her art. And I said, 
don't push her art into competitions, curations, blah, blah, blah. I said, let that be an unmitigated source of joy in her life. Don't make that something that she needs to be doing to get into college because she, she just deserves and will be so beneficial for her in this kind of pressure cooker school to have one thing that she's so good at that is just for her and bringing joy to herself and other people. Now, that is just the perfect story. And um, I will say, as a fan of figure skating, I hope that she just <laughs> continues to feel the joy in it. <laughs> uh, because I feel joyful when I watch figure skaters. Oh, I thing. can't watch it. I was like, they're going to fall, they're going to fall, they're going to fall. <laughs> I know, it's a, it's a real mixed bag. Um, well, wow, Ned, you know, I feel like we have just just scratch the surface. There's so much more to this book that we could um, talk about. And I want to encourage, I'm going to say the full title. So, and it'll be linked in the show notes, but the book is, what do you say? How to talk with kids to build motivation, stress tolerance, and a happy home. And y'all need to buy it. But before I let you go, Ned, at the end of each episode, Asha and I share something that we call your next edit. It's a really actionable thing that listeners can consider doing straight away. So I would love to know what you would recommend um, as your next edit for this episode for our listeners. Hmm. Well, this is something that comes a little bit more from the self-driven child, um, but it, it's really kind of a, this wind through, through winds its way through, through both books. And it's simply this, that when, when, when people are having a hard time, when our kids are having a hard time, we tend to put energy into, in kind of, into what's not going well. And, it, and it's because we love our kids and we're concerned but it can give kids the impression that we're, 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 we're concerned or frustrated with them, not for them. Mm. And, you know, Bill has a story where he's working with a kid for years who just, just really struggled. And Bill asked, he said, is there, is, when you reflect on, on, on your time at Union High School, is there something your parents could have done that would have really helped? And he said, you know, it would have helped if they seemed like they were happy to see me once in a while. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so my daughter uh, had, was, had three months of school refusal at the end of eighth grade. And everything that mattered to her was hard at that time in her life. And it's gonna, I'm going to tear up as I tell the story. And I just made it my effort to every time she'd walk in the room, I'd put down what I was doing and I would just beam at her. And just, you know, good morning, sweetheart. I can't, I can't muster the energy right now. I'm full of tears. And just, just treated her like she's a joy-creating organism. Because mm. who doesn't love them? And I, I, I remember giving a talk. If you, you, if you remember when our, when our children were infants, right? And they were, you know, six months old. And you just sit there and think, my gosh, how you just, oh, those ears, those little fingers, you're just, and, and the first time you went out on a date with someone you're falling in love with, thinking, man, you're just so neat. And we don't do that all the time with our children unless they think they were insane, but particularly to remind ourselves to leaven the, the concern that we have and the challenges that this next year are going to have, particularly if you have kids who are having a hard time, Yeah, just remind yourself and them that they're just they're lovely lovable people despite everything that might be hard at that time mm, that is just beautiful and uh i'm gonna make sure i do that today <laughs> i definitely have a have a tendency since i'm such a heads down intense person when i'm working that i'll just be like okay just give me a minute give me a minute so i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna embrace those interruptions with a hug or a smile or something instead <laughs> 
<laughs> so thank that. you for that takeaway. You got um, it. Ned, this was a joy. Thank you so much for giving your time amidst crazy book launch mode. And um, I really... Uh, my heart feels very full today, so I appreciate ah, you. Well, thank you. Well, the, only, the only thing that I enjoy more than helping people, mostly those are kids with whom I deal with, is helping people, trying to help people who help people. So uh, I love the work that you do, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful this helps you. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, friends, you will find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources we've mentioned at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions. Chat with us on Instagram or Facebook at Edit Your Life Show or send us an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. We'd also be grateful if you would drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about us. Thanks for listening. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.